Welcome to the Savage Leader Podcast, where I interview leaders from all walks of life so that you can walk away with tips to apply to your life and your career. But this isn't your traditional leadership podcast, because I believe that leadership tips come from successful entrepreneurs and business executives, of course, but they also come from unexpected places, like from Navy SEALs, successful professional athletes, sports coaches, musicians, entertainers, and more. So let's dive right in to today's episode. My hope is you walk away with something tangible that you can apply immediately to your life and your career. Today's guest on the Savage Leader podcast is AJ Machado. AJ is an award-winning radio personality and has hosted shows across the U.S., including in San Francisco and most recently in San Diego. He's currently the co-host of the AJ and Sarah podcast that is consistently in Podcast Magazine's Hot 50. AJ, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to, to be here. Yeah, great to be here. Heard your voice over the air many times for many years, so excited to hear your story. Well, I can't wait to share it. Thanks for, thanks for giving me a platform to share it. So just take us back, rewind the tape a little bit. I think it's interesting. You've had a long, I think about a 27-year career in radio. What was that spark? Like, What really prompted you to want to get into radio? It actually started with uh, stand-up comedy at a really young age. It's a really weird story, but I, I don't know if you remember the group Friday Night Live. I don't know if it still exists, but back in the day, it was all about giving kids cool things to do so they don't take drugs and drink. It's similar to Dare. At any rate, in Sonoma County, where I grew up, one of the activities they came up with was a teen stand-up comedy night. And I, I started doing that, and um, they would always have a professional host, so at least someone didn't suck. And one of the professional hosts kind of took me under their wing, and I started doing professional stand-up comedy at about age 16. I thought that was it, man. I, got, I graduated high school, and I won a big comedy competition, and that got me a bunch of work, and I was a working comic. And after a couple of years of that, I realized I only really liked my half hour on stage and everything else I hated. So at that point, I had to kind of brainstorm, and I had done appearances on a lot of radio shows to sell tickets to whatever comedy club I was at. And I said, you know what? That is similar. It's creative and it's fun, but you don't have to live out of a suitcase and you have a regular paycheck. And I think we'll give that a shot. Man, stand-up comedy. I think about overcoming fear all the time. And I think nothing would spark more fear. I mean, public speaking is what the number one fear of people, but stand-up comedy, I mean, talking about just taking live ammo from the audience and tomatoes chucked at you. Like, what was that like? Like, how did you get up there on stage? Like what kind of mindset do you have to be in to perform on the spot? Well, you really are up night after night crafting an act that over time, you know, gets hopefully pretty decent. So you have a lot of proven material. It's not as scary as people think. And then when you do have a rough night, if your jokes work 10 nights in a row on the 11th night, a couple of people boo you or heckle you, you just go. It's always amazed me that when I was a comic or when I tell people I used to do stand-up comedy, they go, oh my God, that's, I could never do that. Or that's so scary or whatever. And literally no one in the history of my radio career, when I said I talk on the radio, said that. No one ever says, oh, I could never be on the radio. And here's something, here's a secret. Radio's way freaking harder. <laughs> radio, if I say something on the radio today, it's done. I can never say it again. If I say it on stage at a comedy club and it kills, I can say it every night for the next three years. So it's kind of an interesting way people look at things. Well, at least with radio, I guess it's in people's memory, but not uh, in digital record. I guess perhaps they're, they're being archived now, but hopefully people can forget and give you a pass. Yeah, absolutely. So what was that first radio gig like? How did you go about landing it? And what was it like just to be an on-air personality? So I did an internship, again, in the town I grew up in, Sonoma County, and then parlayed that into 
I got hired as a night DJ at a tiny little radio station in Healdsburg, California. That was so small. It was literally in a, what had previously been a two bedroom house, this tiny little house, there's a tiny little radio station. They hired me to be the night DJ. And I think a week into being the night DJ, the morning DJ took a week off and I filled in for him. And it's kind of one of those horrible radio stories, but I was on the good side of this one. They just hired me to do mornings and I took over from there at like, you know, 21 or two years old. Wow, it's pretty young for a for a radio host. But what was that like in terms of just being on air in the morning? Obviously, in the in the night and playing music, but now you're actually an on air host in the morning when people are driving to work and whatnot. What was that experience like for you? Well, luckily for me, I didn't know how bad I was at it because I really, coming from a comedy background, I thought I was going to do comedy bits and write characters and parody songs and all that horrible morning radio stuff that actually people hate. But luckily, I quickly started realizing, gosh, when people come up to me at the store and they say they liked this thing. It's never any of those things. It was always just a real story from real life. Oh, I can't believe it. You talked about that fight with your girlfriend. That's me and my girlfriend always fight like that. And I kind of quickly realized that connecting with people is number one. And then if you occasionally can make them laugh, that's kind of almost secondary. Yeah. I mean, storytelling, you mentioned a couple of things, storytelling, also connecting with your audience. So I know leaders, the leaders that I work with are constantly thinking about how can they craft a better narrative that really lands with people? How can they connect with their team in broader audiences? Can you give me some thoughts in terms of how do you go about crafting a great story that lands? It's not the, the bit comedy pieces or probably as a public speaker, even those jokes or those moments where you're trying to shock and awe the audience, but like what goes into creating a great story? I think uh, the number one ingredient to connecting is authenticity. So don't tell them the story that you think they want to hear. Tell them the story that is a great story. You know, and I, over time, got to the point where I, I just kind of know a couple of kind of key moments in the story I'm going to get to, the kind of pivots that I, I certainly never plan it all out. I just know what, what, what I thought was interesting about it or funny about it or, or whatever. You know, ha- have a goal in the story. And it's really... In morning radio, you have to unlearn the goal is not always to make them laugh, right? You you get just as much passion out of making. I was never a jock, shock jock, but you know, you make them mad, they're, they're going to walk into work talking to you about it. You you make them sad, or you really any emotional reaction is a success when you're telling a story. But you talk about authenticity. I mean, that brings up a word that I hear and think about a lot is vulnerability. If you're being more authentic you're sharing more of yourself. I know for me in writing my book, initially it was, hey, I'm going to tell other people's stories and, and have that be anecdotes about leadership. But I ended up telling more of my own, which required me to be more authentic. But along with that, it's almost like the twin behavior, which is being vulnerable. Like, What was that like for you in terms of just becoming more authentic and sharing more of these stories that connect with people? Well, once I kind of got that that was important, you know, I just, I just did it until it came naturally. I think authenticity now is is more gold than ever because everyone's seeing everyone else's life through all these filters and their Instagrams and everyone is trying to show people what they think they want to see that I think it just shoots through whether you know it's a social media post or uh, anything you're doing to be real. I was kind of gifted with a bad story that ended up being a huge gift. Right? So I was engaged to a woman when I first moved to San Diego, which was my big break, boy. It was a huge deal to come to San Diego. And about two weeks after I moved to San Diego, she dumped me. And, you know, of course I was bummed, but I went on there the next day and I was like, you guys aren't going to believe this. I got dumped by my fiance last night. And I, people were coming up to me in the hallways. I can't believe you talked about that. And I was like, well, it happened. And I, I covered the whole saga. We almost got back together and I would build up to, you know, we're going to spend the weekend. And, and that saga really, you know, I had all these big plans of these big stunts I was going to do and these big radio-y things, but 
being vulnerable, like as a dude, it's already kind of embarrassing. But not, not only are you bummed that you aren't going to marry the person, but it's embarrassing that you were the one that got dumped, you know? But that was probably what accelerated my quote unquote catching on in San Diego was having that crappy story turn into a relatable soap opera. And what was it like that morning of? Is this something that just popped into your head? Like you just decided to go for it? Or do you actually think about it and go, all right, yeah, I'm ready to actually divulge this? Or maybe it's just that's the only thing that was on your mind. So you had to get it off your chest. You know what? I, I knew when it happened. I was like, well, this sucks, but it's going to be great radio. Like I, I knew it like when I hung up the phone. And the best thing to do with that kind of stuff is don't tell the, the morning team, you know? And so <laughs> don't say, hey, it's 7.30. I'm going to drop a bomb on you. Just do it so you get their actual real reactions of, wait, what? And then it's, you know, it's way more real. And what was the response of people, of, of audience members and people that may come up to you in the grocery store and whatnot? How did they receive that authenticity, that vulnerability? Uh, I think there was a real connection there with the audience. From that, I learned, you know, everything good and bad that's ever happened went on the air. It, not in a way that makes it all about you, because that's the horrible show, right? But in a way that kind of, by telling your story, people are relating to you, you know, and then you, you surround it with all the other content. Yeah, it's so important is being relatable through authenticity, vulnerability. I mean, it's just, yeah, you look at these icons of business and entertainment and politics and whatnot, and you think people, well, maybe not politics, but, <laughs> but uh, you view them through this lens, like the Instagram lenses of perfection, but you realize if you peel back the layers a little bit that... You know, we all have flaws, we all have faults. And I think just connecting in a real and meaningful way is so important. It really is. I, I had a couple of times where a consultant would come to town and listen to my, I remember one specific time when it was a really big consultant and uh, his feedback after listening to my show, I was on a top 40 radio station, which is the station the kids listen to and it's cool and it's not all the latest hits. And he, he said, you know, I, I like the show in general, but you keep talking about like you're a nerd and you play video games and you read comic books. Like you're on a top 40 station, man. You gotta, you gotta be cooler. And I was like, well, I've got bad news for you. I'm not cool. <laughs> so these are the things that I like. And I think there are plenty of people. I mean, that's think about all your favorite, you know, I don't know what kind of genre of TV shows you like, but if you, you know, like if you look at The Office, everyone on there is a maniac. No one is the cool guy. The only way to actually resonate with people, I think, is to be who you actually are. So is that a consultant who was just in town for business or is actually a consultant for the radio station? It's a consultant for the company. They work for these giant companies. And yeah, just when you get your program director to stop kicking you around, some consultant will come to town and tell you what he doesn't like about you. Yeah, I mean, being uh, interesting, I think, is more important than being cool in this case. Yeah, be, be relatable. There are plenty of people in terrestrial radio uh, trying to be cooler than they are. And it's, I don't think it resonates with anybody. Yeah, and I must, my kids see these YouTubers that I guess look cool to them. To me, I'm just shaking my head all the time what they're doing, but it's just all from your own lens, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what else? So from a storytelling perspective, you talked about authenticity, you talked about relatability. What else does it take to be a great storyteller? That's a really good question. You know what? I think it's like, if you love cooking, you probably become a really good chef. I mean, I wish I can give you some X's and O's out of that. I know you want some actionable items for your listeners, but I, I think a lot of, I love a good story. Like if I'm at a party and someone starts telling me a great story, that's like the best thing in the world to me. I can't like, Oh, this is, this is going to be great. And so I'm just, a, when something happens to me and I go, Oh God, that's going to be a great story. I, I just identify it in the same way other people might go, Oh, I love music. And that's a great song. Or I love again, food. And, and this is a great meal. I, I love a story. Well, you're a natural storyteller. So how about this then? What makes a good story? Like when you hear something, how do you know it's a great story besides just that like natural intrinsic, boom, I know we got a winner there. Yeah, great story maybe has a couple of surprises in it. 
It has vulnerability in it most of the time. And a truly great story captures you with something that you need to get paid off. Like, you know, like uh, when you start hearing what someone's telling on like an old school joke, something needs to capture you at the beginning of that joke that you care, you know, and it's the same with anything else. There has to be something, some itch created with the setup that needs to be paid off. Maybe not with a laugh, but you got to pique that curiosity pretty quickly. So any tips you would have to people who are, and obviously my frame is with leaders and people trying to have greater impact, anything they can do beyond some of the things you mentioned, yeah, trying to deconstruct it a little bit in terms of giving some of those tips, anything, any suggestions you would provide? Go ahead and and lead with the headline, you know, don't build up to it. Don't give it away. But if you know what you want to build up to, you know, if the story is I was at my kid's little league game and some clown was in the back and there was a confrontation, like you can like, you know what that 10 minute story is going to be, but you have to lead it with, I'm going to tell you why I almost got arrested at my kid's little league game this Friday, this Saturday, you know, because that's like, oh, people are going to listen to that, you know, do your best to really set the table right away with here's why you want to hear this story pay off. Sounds like a real story. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not anything. No, no, it's not. So something we talked about earlier, I'd love to go back to in terms of connecting with the audience. So what's really the key to making that connection? I know we talked about storytelling and relatability and authenticity and vulnerability and seeing themselves in your own stories or even seeing some that vulnerability. And, you know, wow, you know, I'm not this perfect person either. Maybe I've been dumped before, but how do you go about connecting with the audience? I think you have to... Uh, again, authenticity and vulnerability are the top two things. And then after that, I say, I mean, a big thing is is being willing to share your actual opinion, not the opinion you think they want to hear. But, you know, even if you think, oh, they're going to kick the crap out of me for this one, it's authentic. And those are probably the two things I would have to work with new people on when they join my show is, is quit saying what you think they want to hear and quit being the person you think they want you to be. I think that's so important. It's just... We have these tapes in our head, especially people earlier in their careers and their lives, is you try to be somebody else. You try, you see somebody, you try to copy and paste what they do. They're st- mimicking their style or the words they choose. And I think it's it's being who you, who you want to be versus who you think people should be. I know for me, it took a long time to tune out some of those things. Hey, be the, the smart Accenture, Haas, Berkeley, Darren. And then now it's like, I just want to be me and tell my stories and sharing some of those things. It just, and by the way, it just feels better, at least to me. Yeah, it's that uh, there's a Mark Twain quote. If you tell the truth all the time, you don't have to remember anything. You know, if you're consistently, you know, coming from the same place, you don't have to, oh, did, I, did I pretend I liked football last week, college football last week, and I don't? You know, we, I think we make a lot of concessions, even just in conversation and our, our desire to fit in. Yeah, absolutely. So, one thing that I, I think about is I know you hosted on air for four hours at a time. How do you go about just bringing the energy consistently? And I know you drop off and drop on just given, that, you know, go to commercial break, but how do you maintain that level of energy? You know, I think it's just be focused on, on the work. You know, the harder jobs in terrestrial radio are the sports talk guys, and the news talk guys that are just filling four hours, not no songs in between and mostly talking about sports or the, the news of the day. But, you know, most of my career, when we were still doing more content driven shows, the second you say, all right, we're doing this in 15 minutes, we'll be right back. And you hit that song you're immediately going to the phones and you're taking phone calls and you're recording them. And if you get a good one, you're editing it up and you're telling your producer, get this ready for the next thing. And you're much more busy than a listener would think. Cause they probably think you're just sitting there staring at the clock until your next official break, but you're constructing that break. Yeah. You're, you're, you're pretty on for the whole time. That's kind of interesting. Cause I know 
for me, just doing public speaking and getting from, you know, it's basically a one-way conversation with hopefully some questions and some dialogue, but being the MC of an event or even of a meeting, think about that. It's so different because you have to get up and sit down and just energize yourself. And I, I found that to be a struggle, you know, at least at first in terms of bringing that energy. But I love what you said in terms of you're busy between, you're not just sitting there just waiting for the, the guy to give you the signal, say, hey, you're back on the air. Yeah, absolutely. Any tips, you know, you'd provide to people? Because I think just, I think about people wanting to be better speakers and leading better meetings and having lots of energy, anything you could impart on them in terms of wisdom about how to, to do that more effectively? You know, I think I've always said that the, the master skill for interviewing is listening. You know, it's like you could sit there all day long and plan out all your questions and do your research. But if you're just, if the person's talking and you're just waiting for them to breathe so you can ask your next pre-planned question, it does not sound like a conversation. It sounds like an interview and it's probably going to be bad. And I think that would probably apply to meetings and stuff as well. Go in there with an agenda, but going in there ready to pivot on that agenda, depending on reading the room and, and how things are going would be a big one. Yeah, it's great advice. I mean, obviously listening, but really listening. Because I know for me, as a consultant forever, I was always constantly trying to ask that smart question and trying to be make sure you, you're the expert. They're obviously paying you fees for that. But what I learned through shifting into coaching was it's less about thinking about that next question. It's more about truly listening. And they said, yeah, you know, you'll come up with better questions. I definitely found that to be true. And obviously, you've had great success as an interview in terms of just being there, being present, listening actively to people. Yeah. And then they feel engaged. You know, you can see when you're interviewing people or talking to a person and they're almost expecting you to just go on to the next generic question and you, you actually ask something based on what they just said. You know, oh, this person's actually listening. Yeah. We're having a conversation now. It changes everything. Yes, definitely. Versus people just talking past each other, which doesn't sound very interesting. Not at all. Yeah. It's something that's interesting, I think unique to radio. And I'm just imagining just being a listener and you guys in the studio, people are driving around, people dropping the show, coming on, coming off. Like, how do you go about engaging people in that kind of environment? Like, how do you maintain any sense of rhythm and in, in storytelling? That's a really good question because it is a super unique medium. In fact, now that I'm doing podcasting, I love the fact that I can actually construct my show. I can have I can decide what they're going to hear first and second and third because the podcasts work differently. With radio, you you just you try to bring people in at the beginning of a break. Hey, if you're just tuning in, this is what we're in the middle of. And you know, that becomes a kind of a skill in, in and of itself. You always have to be remembering, even you know, if you you don't hear this much on podcasts, but if you if you still are a sports talk or a news talk listener, you'll hear the host many times during an interview go, We're talking to John Gruden, the host of the Raiders, you know, like every 90 seconds or so, with that in mind, that people are just tuning in and you're constantly reminding people uh, what's going on. I think that's helpful too. If you have these ongoing meetings, you know, obviously I'm thinking more from a business context where people are coming in and coming out, you're constantly reviewing, you're constantly bringing it back, but in an engaging way. So you're not losing the rest of the audience. You're still engaging with them, but you're doing it in short bite-sized snippets. Absolutely. Yep. So what are you doing now? So I know you made a shift about, I think last year in 2020 from terrestrial radio, as you call it, to podcasting. Like, tell me about that shift. What was that like? That's a pretty big shift for someone who's been in radio so long. Yeah. So. Radio is a pretty insane business, as I think a lot of people know. And uh, I, I was part of a massive downsizing right before COVID. My show was actually number one at the time. It had nothing to do with my performance. But you know, you're know, you just numbers on these spreadsheets for these big companies at this point. And I did have offers to go back onto terrestrial radio in San Diego that weren't attractive. And that was it. I'm not moving across the country to talk on the radio at this point in my life. So I decided, you know what? There's not a bright future for very many people in terrestrial radio that don't have the last name Seacrest or you know a few a handful of people Bobby Bones and I thought you know what 
It's just a delivery system. Who needs a big tower on a hill with an antenna on it? If you know how to make content, I'm just going to make my own. So I have relaunched my show and I'm part of a couple of other endeavors. And I mean, the future for content creators is as good as it's ever been because we have so many platforms and ways to reach our audience. You know, it's a pretty exciting time. Yes, definitely. So many different opportunities. I think it's just still so much greenfield in terms of podcasting, but something that's you know, almost implied in what you said is you went from being an, an on-air radio host to now you're essentially a business owner in terms of not just the content for the podcast, but growing your listenership. Obviously, you do that as a host in terms of you know having good, engaging content, which will attract more and more listeners. But that's a pretty big shift. What's that been like in terms of being going from the on-air talent to now you're the on-air talent and the business owner? That's a very good question. And uh, my honest answer is, creatively, it's the most fun I've had in years. Because my last few years of radio... We were literally doing four three-minute breaks per hour. It, it's just the where, where everything's going. So I had I haven't been able to do content that I wanted to do and that wasn't creatively. It's the best. The part you just talked about is the worst. <laughs> I don't like. I was lucky enough during my career. I'd be like, hey, this isn't working. Let's call an engineer over. Hey, this needs editing. Hand it to my producer. But, you know, and and so I had a lot to figure out. And I, I did then that was how I put it to people. I didn't wake up every day with a to-do list. It was a to-figure-out list. You know, how do I set up an email list? How do I build a website? How do I get podcasts? How do I, you know, I, I knew how to create content and that was the fun part, but I had a ton of learning to do with that stuff. Well, that's so relatable. I mean, I think just whether you're talking about subject matter experts, they're, uh, you know, consultants, authors, et cetera, trying to build a business, but even just for entrepreneurs, I mean, I think, you know, there's this perception that people just have all the answers. Maybe some do, but most don't, right? I mean, they're, they're active learners are constantly just talking to people like, what do you do in your situation to learn all these things? Well, the timing wasn't great because it was, you know, really once COVID hit and I started having program directors go, yeah, we'll probably put you on, but call me after the pandemic. I kind of realized like, even if I go back to radio, I, I'm going to have to do my own thing for a while. So when I was literally the first thing I did was build a streaming radio station. I said, screw it. I'll build my own radio station. And I had to figure out how to legally play music without being a bootlegger and how to get that music and how to automate it and how to literally set up the equipment. And, and in regular times, I would have just called one of my engineer friends and said, hey, come set this up. But you couldn't get someone to come in your house and do anything in April of last year, May of last year. So I watched a lot of YouTube videos <laughs> and I, you know, I Googled a lot and I figured, I just figured it out one thing at a time. Yeah, I mean, the power of so many tools. I talked to a professional golfer as part of the interview for my book and he talked about, he didn't have a swing coach, but he had YouTube. So you have almost have your YouTube teacher. So it's pretty powerful, the amount of tools that are out there. It is. You, you really can teach yourself gosh darn near anything if you, you just put your head down and stick with it long enough. Yeah, you're pointing to a lot of the pains of entrepreneurs and a lot of people when they're surrounded by, in your case, engineers or you know, in different contexts, you've got support. It's it's way different. You know, you're suddenly dealing with a lack of resources, you know, maybe a lack of investment to to put into certain things, but it's a huge challenge as an entrepreneur. Right. And if I'm gonna be totally honest and vulnerable, I was actually wrong at first about, well, I know how to create content, so this will be easy. Because uh, what I learned as I slowly started kind of pulling the radio broadcaster parts of my brain out and replacing them with podcast. Podcast is a different animal. And I had to kind of step back and go, okay, you know how to create content, but you're just creating a radio show and putting it on a podcast platform, which is insane because podcasts are used differently. They're just totally different beasts. So I had to go out and bring on a consultant to you know help me figure out how to get it right for an actual podcast. And there's always a lot to learn. 
I'm sure just even the the nature of how people consume it, right? Radio is probably people in their cars, maybe in their garage, in their yard, but I definitely never had a radio attached to my hip that I'd be walking around walking the dog, whereas podcast is in some ways, well, maybe equally intimate, but just it's just different moments, right? Whether you're at the gym, you're doing housework, you're working in the yard, walking the dog. Like, what was that like for you? How did that really impact the way that you build the content and tell your stories? This seems so insane now. I'm almost embarrassed to admit it, but whatever. It seemed reasonable at the time where I felt like my only barrier to reaching my audience was a delivery system. So I'm just going to basically do my radio show, put it on a podcast platform, and that, that'll do it. And then I started seeing the data come in. You know, because we were literally waking up in the morning, you know, talking about you know what was happening that day, you know, doing offering the things a radio show offers, and the data starts coming in. And it's like, wow, most people aren't listening in the morning, and a lot of them are listening to three day old episodes. And then the longer we were doing, it's like a lot of people are listening to two week old episodes. All right, all right, no more topical stuff. And then we kind of did that with each each thing. Like, you know, we were doing a lot of interviews, and then we just slowly were peeling away things that worked for radio that weren't optimal for podcasts. But, you know, podcasting is a super exciting space. It's where so many things are going and it's where so many tools are are coming out every day that are going to give us more abilities to talk to listeners and even interact with them. And um yeah, now that I've I've spent this time learning this, I'm obviously continuing to do my show, but I'm founding a I have a uh, partner who he's created some new like 2021 versions of entrepreneurships or apprenticeships, I should say apprenticeships. So, you know, the classic apprenticeships are you learn how to be a plumber or a Mason and those are all great. And those are all uh, well compensated positions, but he's created a place where you can learn how to do cybersecurity or how you can write code and how you can do these more useful things. We're creating a separate wing of that for content creation. We're teaching kids through the boys and girls clubs of Los Angeles, how to, create a podcast, how to create a YouTube channel, how to create a streaming show. And so, cause that's where all the, all of it's going. And that's, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah. I think there's obviously so much interest. I think about, you know, my kids and just, you know, they always jump in the car and they're like, want me to turn off the podcast I'm listening to, <laughs> but they love the YouTube stuff. But I think what a relevant thing and skill for people to teach. And just, there's so many benefits of, obviously I'm predisposed to this in terms of Love, you love in the platform medium of a podcast, but what a great way to get your message out to people, whether you're a brand, whether you're a celebrity, whether you run a business or just even just you want to put more thoughts out there or even just more on the, uh, you know, fictional entertainment side as well. Yeah. And I think we'll see this more. I'm surprised more business owners aren't doing a podcast just as a marketing play, right? Like if you're a, a real estate agent and you start doing a podcast where you're talking to other local pros in real estate over it doesn't matter if no one actually listens <laughs> to the podcast obviously you'd like it if they did but you take the, the the video and the audio and you cut that stuff up and you share it across all your social media streams and it's a great credibility builder and at the same time you're making more and more connections with people you have on as guests it's I, maybe I, I think people may think it's harder than it is like i mean if you can plug in a microphone and you know, it's, there's not a whole lot to it. I'm surprised more people aren't doing it for reasons other than let me hopefully build a huge audience and turn it into, you know, my livelihood or something. There's, there's a lot of reasons why a platform like a podcast or even a YouTube channel could be valuable to almost anybody. Yeah, I mean, there's so many tools. Tim Ferriss has a page on his website where he shows literally all the gear that he uses both in studio and he travels and he talks about how he mails mics to people. So definitely the content's out there. We're definitely in kind of a, a DIY world. but I think something we talked about before is vulnerability. You know, it's like there's a big gap between someone saying, yeah, that sounds interesting and actually 
pushing the button and recording your first podcast. You know, I know for me, when I got started, there it was really an extension of writing the book where I was like, hey, once I hit publish on the book in the Amazon marketplace, like, okay, here we go. Ready for my uh, one, one star review, three, two, one, here it comes. Same thing with launching a podcast. You, you record the one, you're committed to it, you launch it and you see where it goes. But that's a big leap for people. It is a big leap. But, uh, you know, it's there for people that are interested. And it's, it, it's, you know, again, you can learn anything off of YouTube. The few things you probably don't know how to do, you don't know how to edit audio or you don't know how to, you know, get some art for your, you know, podcast art. You can figure that out with a couple of Google searches. It's pretty easy. Yeah. Tons of resources out there. But back to the mindset piece, like what, what advice, what would you say to someone who's considering creating a podcast? It's to nudge them off the ledge to, address that thought in their own head about, I don't know if it's going to be interesting. Others just, you know, are people going to listen to like anything you would do to nudge them forward? Well, yeah, you know, I, I would just say, you, you know, if you know what your niche is and it has to be specific, I mean, there's no reason not to, right? I mean, I mean, unless you don't have the time, I mean, time is a finite resource and certainly some people don't have the time, but if you have the time, uh, what's the worst case scenario? You do 10 episodes and you had some fun and it doesn't go where you wanted it to go. You'll still learn a lot and have something afterwards. I think that's so important. You know, when I talk about to people about risk taking, it's like, yeah, you don't can't guarantee what the outcome is. What you will guarantee is that you'll learn something, you know, through failures, through trials and tribulations. And hopefully you get some wins as well. Yeah. I, there's a saying I like the two reasons people will tell you not to do your thing is number one, it's been done before. And number two, it's never been done before. And with podcasting, you go, oh, I'd really like to talk about cooking, but there's a million cooking podcasts. Well, someone's going to make the next big one. You know, and, and they are, that's factually accurate. Someone's going to make the best cook, next big cooking contest. And I think it's really just, you know, certainly it, there's a skill set there and everything else, but you just have to find the thing that makes your your presentation unique. There, there's a, a YouTube show speaking. I think it started on YouTube. It might be on regular TV now. I think it's called Hot Licks. Okay. This guy gets A-list celebrities at this point on his show, does a you know typical kind of, of celebrity interview with them while they eat progressively hotter chicken wings. And I'm talking, you get Idris Elba, Halle Berry, and they're sitting there and their eyes are watering and they're, you know, and it's fun enough to watch. I've watched a couple of episodes, but, but that guy's doing a celebrity interview show. If he told his friends, you know what, I'm going to do a celebrity interview show on YouTube, and I'm going to have millions of followers and eventually get on TV. They would have said, there's a million celebrity interviews. You're insane. And he would have said, but I'm going to have him eat chicken wings. And the chicken wings made all the difference. Yeah, finding that greenfield for sure. But I think also another point is just there's always going to be naysayers. You know, I know people in my circles that I almost don't want to mention new things to. They kind of go, oh, that sounds great. Just no enthusiasm versus people like, yeah, go for it. Because it's just that right mindset, right? Of taking risks and doing something different, breaking apart from the pack. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and just, you know, taking anything you don't know and just making that the next thing on your do list. Just put it on your to figure it out list. So tell me more about the, the AJ and Sarah show. So like, what's the focus of that? Obviously it's different than telling funny stories. People come in on and off the, on the radio program, but like, what's the focus of that? And what, what are you really doing with that? So we're, we're actually launching season two. It'll be out as of the airing of this podcast. And that's what we had to figure out. We, we, we were having pretty good you know, numbers, as you say, as daily and weekly downloads. And it was going fine. But as we peeled away radio thing after radio thing, it really had devolved into just, hey, what happened to you that in the last couple of days that was funny? You know, just us kind of telling stories, which was great for people who had followed us on the radio forever. But we knew that that was, that's not 
scalable, right? There's, you know, you can't be just looking for people that used to listen to you on the radio. So as much as I adore Sarah, we are from different planets as far as the type of media we consume and the things that we like and our hobbies. And so we have almost nothing in common other than we're parents that love San Diego. So the show is now going to be known as All In San Diego, and it's going to highlight the people and places that make San Diego awesome. And that can be kind of local celebrities to some extent, but more, we just, our first episode has this kid who he's in fifth grade. He had a classmate lose someone to cancer. He decided I'm going to grow out my hair and give it to one of the hair for cancer patients charities, grew his hair out for three years, and then went in and gave his hair to strangers based on something that happened to a classmate of his. So like stories like that are going to be what we're excited to share. Uh, what a neat story. Sounds fantastic. Yeah. And then as well as taking deep dives into places, there are so many places in San Diego that we all go to. And it's funny because we kind of randomly chose our first episode and ended up being the perfect example of this kind of place, Balboa Park. You know, you go to Balboa Park maybe a couple of times a year and you're always a little bit confused and you're, yeah, there's things to do here. Maybe we'll go. And, you know, when you, we get an expert on with us who's, knows everything to do there. I mean, there must have been 35 things that this expert shared that you could, I mean, really fun things. There are treasure hunts you can do with the kids and they get prizes afterwards. And there are secret gardens and trails that go and there's dog parks. There's so many things you don't even know, even about places that we think we know. And that's, that's kind of been fun to dive into. Yeah, fun. It's like a personal tour guide in San Diego. Yes. So obviously not all of your listeners are in San Diego. So I won't go any deeper into that. But that's, that's the pivot. And we're pretty excited about it. Yeah, you make a great point, which is about niching down, you know, finding your niche and not just trying to cater to the broadest possible audience, but it's better to have a fewer number of just just rabid fans and who are consuming your content versus this. I think people generally, maybe not the most shrewd entrepreneurs, but think, hey, I'm going to cast this wide net and be everything to everybody. But what you're talking about is being a little bit more of a niche in that perspective. Yeah, because who you're trying to entertain, that has to be consistent. And it also informs where the people that are your potential listeners are, you know, and, and, and shows you, you know, where to, to, to market and find those people and bring them in. And, you know, a lot of big podcast fans point to shows, you know, probably the biggest show in podcasting. You mentioned Tim Ferriss earlier. He's huge. Everyone knows about Joe Rogan's gigantic content with Spotify. And they go, oh, look at Joe Rogan. He's the biggest podcaster out there. And he, you know, he talks to Elon Musk one day and, you know, some scientists the next day. He does now. But when he started, it was comedians. And it was comedians that were a lot like him in comedy style. And he did that consistently for a very, very, very long time until he built up enough goodwill with his audience that he is, you know, that they, they now will listen to him if the interview is a rock. But even these these platforms that don't seem to have a niche, they all start with an itch. Yeah, such great advice for business building. Well, I, I, I'm telling you, it's harder knowledge for me because I wasn't doing that with the radio show. I was just doing... You know, like I said, I was doing my radio show and, like, and once I kind of focused down to what exactly we're providing and who are exactly we're providing it for, it changes everything because it gives you one filter. Should I book this guest or not? Well, does this specific person want to hear it? Nope. Or yes. You know, should I reach out to this community for marketing or not? It, it's Once you know exactly who you're going for and what you're giving them, everything else falls into place. You have to make a lot less strained decisions. Yeah, what a great tool in terms of acting as a filter, which I think people can apply in so many different situations. Yeah, absolutely. The filter is the right word. It gives you a filter for everything. Well, AJ, I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy. Best of luck with the podcast, but where can people go to listen to the podcast, learn about everything you're doing, just anything about you and what's up? 
find me at our website, allinsandiego.com, allinsandiego.com. And I'm obviously all over social media and places as well, but I appreciate uh, it. It was really fun for me on the other end of an interview. So thanks for having me, Darren. Yeah, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Savage Leader Podcast. My hope is you are walking away with tactics that you can apply to become a better leader in your life and in your career. If you're looking for additional insight and tactics, be sure to check out my book titled The Savage Leader, 13 Principles to Become a Better Leader from the Inside Out. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and I would truly appreciate it if you would leave a review and also rate the podcast. Thanks and see you all in the next episode.